Would you turn to Colossians chapter 1? I'm really glad and I'm eager to resume going through the book of Colossians, Colossians 1, and we'll be going through verses 26 and 27. So Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27. And the word of God reads, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a passage before us this morning that is worthy to be memorized by all Christ lovers. I don't know of any faithful preacher that will come to this passage and not humbly admit of his inadequacy to fully exhaust all there is to exposit in his text. Nothing can be said to describe how glorious this text is to us who believe. Brothers, I have to confess that even after I've prayed and I read many commentaries on this, I still felt I was like a lost baby in, in, in this text. And I even asked, started asking myself, do, do I speak about the mystery or its glory or the riches of its glory? Do I speak on Christ or Christ in you, or the fact that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And if I would borrow the the words of um, Charles Spurgeon, who once said, every verse cries out, preach me. Well, I would also say the same thing about this. Every word of this passage is screaming out and, and, and yelling in my head, preach me. If we dissect every word, we find there are countless of majestic topics, all inspiring, breathtaking subjects of flying like arrows, leaping out of this text. And each one of them would bring real, true comfort into our heart. So be ready. Open your hearts to this. I don't want to bore you with lengthy introduction. I want to go straight into the text and we see what the Lord has in store for us. Even the outline will make it simple. Truth hidden, truth revealed. Truth hidden, truth revealed. First, truth hidden. What is it? What is the truth hidden? What do we mean? Verse 26. That is the mystery. Now, if we follow the passage, we find that the message that uh, he's been entrusted and commissioned, Paul entrusted and commissioned by God to preach is the mystery. The mystery. 
Now, what does this mean? Some think when, when we hear the word mystery is that they associate it with something that is mysterious. Wow, you know, like a murder scene mystery where you need Sherlock Holmes to come in and investigate this murder scene and resolve the mystery. Not at all. That's not what it means. Every time Paul uses this word, and to be exact, he used it 20 times, it just means a secret, hidden truth. More like uh, in, in today's language, a password that cannot be hacked. It cannot be guessed. Some of these mysteries are like the gospel. Or Christ is called Christ as the mystery or the incarnation of God where Jesus took on flesh is mystery or the unbelief, the current unbelief of the Israelites or the rapture seven years before the return of Christ, the rapture of the church is mystery. Now all these and more are those mysteries that you can't figure out on your own. You can't. Even if you read the Old Testament, you won't find him there. You won't. Yes, they are there lurking in the shadows, dimly seen in the smoke of you know, sacrifices and rituals, but they needed a special revelation from God in the New Testament to know clearly what they are as we do now. Now, why is Paul writing about a a mystery to the Colossians? Why? What's the connection? Well, back during that time, there was this ancient old false teaching that was getting into the church. And it was saying this. Do you want to reach a state of sinlessness, a spiritual perfection? Great, you can do that, but too bad. How come? This is only to the elite, the exclusive group. Very few people that are privileged to know the secret message, which is the mystery. And once you know it, you you reach a state of perfection so If you want to be part of this elite group, well, why don't you join the queue, get online, get into our inner circle of trust. You've got to come under us. You've got to earn our trust. And if we are happy with you, perhaps we will whisper into your ear this secret, this mystery. And so... Those false teachers that would read what Paul has written here, you know, the word, the mystery, and they would say, amen to that. Thumbs up, Paul. Yes, there is a mystery. And they would continue, and they read, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. They would say, that's what we're talking about, Paul. For sure. And you could almost feel that up to this point that these false teachers would rise up and I want to clap for Paul. Why? Because it seems up to this point that Paul is in agreement with them. There is a mystery and the mystery is hidden. But then all of a the sudden there is a 180 degree turn. And it would have made these false teachers blood boil. 
Because Paul continues on and he says, but has now, in this present time, in this dispensation of this age, this mystery has been manifested to whom? To the elite? To the secret society? No, to the saints. Which saints? All saints. From the youngest to the oldest, from the most broken, the most discouraged, the most stubborn, from the weakest to the strongest, from the poorest to the richest, there is no exception to the rule. They all now have one thing in common. And what is it? Verse 27. To whom? That is to them, to the saints, God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. So, so far, what you have is a mystery. Verse 26, again, it says, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. Now, literally, by the way, in Greek, it would mean it is hidden since or since before the ages and since before the generations. Long before there was ages or generations. Now, who, who then hidden it? Who was there long before ages and generations? It was God. So you have a mystery that was hidden by God himself. In other words... God decreed to conceal this mystery even before all eternity. And if God hides a mystery, who would dare to stand up, raise his hand and would say, I can find it on my own. There is no way, even for the best Sherlock Holmes, that could have been able to discover this secret that was buried in the mind of God. How come? Verse 27, it was only God that could will it to reveal this mystery. Only then could men ever know this hidden truth. And yet, what do we have? We have men who are blinded in their arrogance. And they say, we don't need God to know all there is to be known. Verse 27 says, God willed to make known. In other words, there is no strength in man, no intelligence, not all the money in our bank accounts, whatever made us fit to know God and his mysteries. Even after millions of years, with all of man's efforts, this treasure chest of the mystery of God would have remained being Buried, locked away, had it not been the mercy of God to unlock this treasure chest and manifest it to the saints. Right? Or how we all utterly dependent upon God for this mystery to be known and all other mysteries. Or even our election, salvific calling, the drawing of our souls to Christ. 
Brothers, what is there that is worth knowing that we could discover in our own? As you read the scripture, you'll find everything that is worth discovering. It must be God that would reveal it to us. How humbling. How grateful should we be for God to roll up these eternal curtains and reveal to us this hidden truth. Well, that's the first point, hidden truth. And you could almost say it's just an introduction to the real meat. The real meat is not so much the hidden truth, but it's the revealed truth. Truth revealed. What is this truth that is revealed? We continue and it says, The riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now, if you pause for a little bit and you go through these words and how they're all stacked up, riches, glory, mystery, it's, it's meant to make our spiritual mouth watery. What we're meant to say, wow, wow, this mystery is glorious, glorious. What does this mean? It means it's splendid. It is majestic. It's great mystery. And the glory of this mystery is rich. As if the word glory is not enough to describe this mystery. No, it is now rich. It's extreme. If you could replace the word glory with perhaps a closest word to it is the word beautiful. And the word rich, you could simply replace it with the word very. What do you get? This mystery is. Very beautiful, right? Extremely glorious. Now, for this to be extremely glorious hidden treasure, uh, this, this mystery must be the mystery of all mysteries, right? Now, what should the question be in your mind right now? What's in this treasure chest for it to be so breathtaking, right? I want to know what it means. Why is it so glorious? Why is it so rich? Paul continues, narrows it down, and he tells us, which is right before your eyes, Christ in you. This is it. This is the all-time, single, glorious, rich, profoundly shocking truth. Christ in you. This ought to grip the very depth of our souls, brothers and sisters. Summing up the entirety of this mystery in three words. Christ in you. Can we fathom what this actually means, Christ in you? How can we uncover 
these three profound words in the rest of this short sermon. But we'll try our best. Christ in you is that rich, glorious mystery. So what I want to do now is I want to break this down into three questions that we're going to answer. First is, why is this a mystery, Christ in you? Why is that a mystery? Why? Secondly, what is so glorious about it? Why is it glorious? We want to know, right? And number three, why this glorious mystery is rich. How's that? So we'll try to break it down in this way. The mystery. Why is it mystery? Now, Christ in you. Now, when we talk about Christ in you, this is the very essence of this mystery. Let's reflect. Let's think. It is not Christ with you. It is not that Christ is thinking of you. It does not say Christ is behind you or before you as beautiful as true these are, but these are not what it says. It's not that you are in Christ. We've already spent a whole hour talking about what it means that you are in Christ, raised with Him, died with, you know, died with Him, raised with Him, seated with Him. But it's not, the, it's not what it says here. It's not about you are in Christ, but it is the fact that He comes and makes you His home. In a very real, in a very mysterious way. Every believer can boldly say, Christ is in me. Again, it is not Christ's blessings. No, it's not about Christ's forgiveness or Christ's power or His comfort. Again, as wonderful as and true as these are, but no, it is not Christ's stuff that is in you. It's more than that. Paul goes further and beyond this and he says, it is He. He is the very personhood of Christ is within you. When you get up in the morning or sleep by the night, whether you are at the highest of your spiritual holiness or at the trough and the mud of sin, whether you love Him or you have 1,000 idols that you have to deal with, Christ is within you, O saints of God. Of course it's a mystery, is it not? I mean, how could it be the one that the Scripture says, and I quote, the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain Him, is in you. We'll go further than that. Consider who it is that Christ is in. The riches of the glory of this mystery among, among who? Among the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? 
non-Jews, right? Now, hands up if you're a Jew. Anyone is a Jew here? Then you're just like me. We're all Gentiles, right? Worshipping Yahweh together. So no offense taken, but your ancestors were worshippers of cows and vipers. Your great-great-great-grandfathers were bound down before sun and the moon. And you were cut off from Israel and the blessings of God, right? Did you know that the entire Old Testament can, can be seen as a narrative about a God who's given the Jews victory over the Gentiles? As you read the scripture in the Old Testament, that's what it's about. How God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will subdue nations and will bring him under Israel. And even in the Old Testament, when a, when a Gentile is converted and um, believes in Yahweh, did you know? that he was still considered to be a second-class citizen, second-class Jew, because he was not a pure blood. Yes, the Old Testament predicted the coming of the Messiah. And yes, the Gentiles will believe through him. But to have most of the redeemed in the present age made up of the Gentiles, not the Israelites, and, and for their Messiah to be within them, to sanctify their hearts and turn it into His temple, abiding in them. This is outrageous. Who would have thought that? Nobody, nobody would have, would have ever believed this. Brothers, Gentiles, we who were dogs, barely worthy of the crumbs that fall from the master's table, according to Jesus. Not only are we now considered to be loved, honored as children of God, no, beyond that, to have our master unbutton our hearts. To unlock our inner chambers. To say, this is my home now. I will live in you forever. We who never received the oracles of God. Yet now, we become the recipients of the God of the oracle. In us. What a mind-boggling mystery. Of course it's a mystery. How, how could it be the sinless to be in sinners? The creator to, to live within his creature. What an unimaginable, unthinkable treasure chest. And we haven't even dug an inch deep into this treasure. It's a mystery. Second. It's a glorious mystery. Glorious. Why is it a glorious mystery? 
What makes it a glorious mystery? Christ in you. Christ. Christ makes it glorious. John says about Christ is that the glory as of the only begotten of, from the Father. Hebrews says the radiance of God's glory is Jesus Christ. Is there anything more glorious than Christ? Now what glory did Paul have in the immediate context about Jesus? What do you have in mind? If you remember this wonderful ancient song from verse 15 to verse 20, allow me to summarize it for you. It's been a while, so it's just a way of reminder. Verse 15, let's just think and reflect on the glory of Christ that he just presented to us. Verse 15, Jesus is God. He's supreme over all. Verse 16, Jesus is the creator of all. Verse 17, he's the eternal sustainer of all. Verse 18, Jesus is the Lord and Savior of his people. Verse 19, Jesus is the beloved of the Father. Verse 20, Jesus is the reconciler of all. So, from verses 15 to 17, Jesus is glorious. Why? Because he has matchless loveliness. Unequaled power. Unrivaled authority in all of his creation. And verses 18 to 20, the second part, Jesus is glorious. Why? Because in all religion, salvation, in all of the redemptive world, no one is like Jesus. How come? He has monopoly over salvation, exclusivity over lordship, amazing grace, guaranteed forgiveness, boundless satisfaction. Simply put, Jesus is glorious because he is preeminent in all things. Jesus is all sufficient in all aspects of life. He is the reference point to all things. You measure everything against Jesus. Jesus is the answer to all unresolved challenges. He's the fountain of life to all dead souls. He's the bread of life to all hungry hearts. And then Paul gives this upper punch. And so he says, oh, by the way, this supreme Jesus is in you. All of him in you. This is it. This is what makes this mystery so glorious. Brothers, we don't have a flimsy angel or a dead prophet who dwells in us. No, it is the all-sufficient, risen Glorious Savior in me, in you. What a glorious mystery, right? Christ in you. Do we get that? Well, if you don't get it, maybe we'll continue. We'll talk about its richness. Because this mystery is not just glorious, but it's rich. So rich. What does it mean that it's rich? 
Why is it rich? Well, my parents, when they migrated from, from Egypt, and everybody knows Egypt is a third world poor country, and um, they were hoping to uh, prosper here in Australia. Only to realize when we have arrived that my dad couldn't find any job, so we stayed poor. And uh, I thought to myself, for quite some time, especially when I was a teenager, what good is it to leave a poor country, come to a rich one, only to continue to be poor? What good is it? The text says Christ in you. Not just outside of you, in you. Every week we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Amen. He died, but he rose again and he ascended to heavens and he seated at the right hand of the Father. And that is wonderful. And that's great. And it's worthy to be praised. Amen. But what good is it to you when Christ is everywhere, but he's not in you? What does that mean? Let me unpack it for you. Please stay with me. I don't want to lose you. Suppose that you have a a very sick man, cruciating pain, desperate for for medicine to, to calm him down, calm his pain down and heal him. Suppose even if even if this sick man is in the best hospital in the world, what good will it this will this do to him if he doesn't have the medicine and drink it? Right? You may have the best garden bed in the world. You have all kinds of vegetables. But you might as well starve to death if you don't get this food and eat it and put it into your mouth and into your, goes into your stomach, right? Now, what makes this mystery so rich is not just that Christ is so rich, but it is that Christ who is so rich is in you. This is the pearl of great price in you. The bread of life is in your soul. You can't get any more richer than that. This is the honey of the honeycomb. You can't get any sweeter than that. Now, up to this point, wow, this sounds beautiful, wonderful. But what does this really mean? I mean, I can't take these riches and go and buy myself a a kilo of potatoes. What does it mean that I have this richness in me? Well, let's bring what is in the cloud down to the street level. We want to know why is it sweet? Why is it so rich, right? To have Christ in you. To be rich, number one, it means that you possess Christ. You possess Christ in a way that no one could ever take him away from you. I can't claim ownership of anything that I have any more than when that thing resides within me, right? Like, for example, in my stomach. I can't. Um, 
I may own a house, and I say, my house, this house is mine, my own. But what happens if I get sued or go bankrupt? The government will come after me, right? And, and perhaps I will repossess my house. Can't do anything about that. But that last piece of cake that I ate this morning, sorry kids, and it's in my stomach, guess what? It's mine. No one can take it away from me. No one can reclaim it. Yes, my children may, may cry, it's not fair. Or That's, this, this cake was meant to be for me. Why do you do this, Dad, all the time? I can say that. But who can take it away from me once it's in? No one. Brothers, it is in this way you possess Christ. The devil can't change that. Your stubborn, persistent sin can't erase it. Christ in you. Meaning, he's yours. He's all yours, forever yours. All that he is and all that he has is yours. And so you are rich. You can say, Christ is mine. How come? He's in me. Secondly, it's rich because Christ in you means that you can experience Christ. You can experience him. You can personally, consciously, fully aware that you could enjoy Christ's presence. Not many Christians do that, brothers and sisters. Many Christians forget about this and they chase after worldly pleasures because that reality of this concept hasn't sunk deep within them. But you can consciously become aware of Christ's presence and you can get to enjoy Him. It is possible and He's available. Let me talk a little bit about this. Unbelievers, they can be so rich, right? We know that. And they can be so rich that they would buy the best couches in the world, have the largest houses in the world, but without Christ in them, what are they left with? No comfort. I assure you of that. Unbelievers also can, can be so friendly, right? And so they may have many, quote-unquote, shallow companions. Not true friends. You can't have true friends if they're unbelievers. I call them Facebook friends. You can have Facebook friends. Right. And they may party with them all day long. But without Christ in them, in the darkness of the night... Their miserable souls will always be lonely. They may have an alarm system, but always insecure. Always laughing, but never truly joyful. Their stomach can be full, but their souls are starving. Why? Why is this? Because Christ is not in them. They are lifeless. They are hopeless without Christ. But oh, the immeasurable, 
boundless riches of Christ that we possess in possessing him. Brothers, what, what could Christ do more to show us how much he longs to be so intimate with us? We sang it this morning. Our sins, he carried them all and cast them into the depth of the sea. The cup of God's wrath, he drank it all for us. Drained the entire cup for us. And now, he is in you. And what is he doing in you? Always cleansing you. Always changing you. Always strengthening and comforting and encouraging you. Brothers, you can get to experience Christ in ways that are so unimaginable, unthinkable. This is why it's such a rich mystery. Let the world confiscate our couches. Because Christ in you, they cannot take away your comfort in him. Let them turn on us and even our loved ones return our love to them with hatred. Let our friends reject us and throw us in the darkest dungeon. Christ who is in you is the light of the world, the scripture says. He will turn your darkness into light. How can you ever claim that you're lonely when your best and most faithful companion is in you, fulfilling you and satisfying you? Rich. Rich means you possess Christ, you own Christ. Rich means... You can consciously enjoy Christ. And number three, this mystery is rich because Christ is internally possessing you. It, it implies he owns you and he controls you. What do I mean by that? When you get into a car, when you get into your car, what do you do? You drive anywhere you wish, right? When you get into your house, what do you do? You do whatever you want. It's your house. And so is Christ in you. What is he doing? He's ruling. He's reigning inside of you. Christ in you, meaning this great king chose your body to be his palace. And your heart to be his throne. Christ is seated majestically in the throne of your heart. Waving his righteous scepter. Writing his own commands inside of you. In you. Okay, what does this mean? So what? Big deal. What, what does it mean that he's writing his commands internally inside of me? Okay, let's again contrast. You get these self-righteous people who say, I'm going to obey God's commands. But what do they do? How do they feel when they try to obey God's commands? They find His commands, what? Burdensome. And the more they obey the commands externally, the more they grow in bitterness. 
internally towards these commands. And they say, what do you mean I've got to deny myself? Right? What do you mean um, I've got to love these brethren or cut off my pride and sever it? Well, this is just too much. This, this load is too heavy to bear. Why is that? Because Christ is not ruling internally in them. But for you, brethren, Christ in you, meaning you long to, to follow his rule. How come something internally makes you savor his, his commands? He internally makes you feel like his will is your food. And even when you fail to obey, you know what happens to a believer when he fails to obey? And then he begins to reflect the fact that he's not really obeying God's commands. He longs too long to obey. And it begins to bubble up. It boils internally within him. How come I'm not obeying his commands? And so what does he do? He repents. How enriching. How wonderful. How all-consuming is to have Christ in you. You possess him. You get to experience him. You are ruled by him. I can go on and on about how he empowers you. And what this means that his power, the very same power that rose Jesus from the dead and has taken him all the way up, way above the cloud, birds, and the space and the planets and the stars and even way above the holy angels and even to the very throne of God to be seated at the right hand of the Father. This same power is in you to lead you to be holy, to rise above your trials. We can talk a lot about how he internally takes care of you. How he internally begins to mold you and conform you into his image. It's a mystery. It's a rich and glorious mystery. All right. And we come to the last bit. The hope of glory. This mystery. The fact that Christ is in you. Is not just about some presence, reality that we can enjoy, but it's about the hope of glory. And remember, when we speak about the word hope, when the scripture speaks of hope, what is it? It's always, it always means assurance of some future expectation. Something glorious in the future that we expect it will happen. The richest of the glory of this mystery will carry us all the way to endless future. Imagine this. Imagine this. This Christ who's in you will carry you on his wings all the way to the new earth. And even then, you will be met with glory, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope 
of glory. Christ in you will ensure that your new body, as the scripture says, will be a glorified body. That's a hope of glory. Glorified body. Your reward will be glorified rewards. Your fellowship with Christ and his people will be a glorified fellowship. Again, imagine that day will come where you'll be walking the real physical earth, a glorified earth. And there's a group of people in that corner over there. You've never seen them before. You've never seen them. You don't know who they are. But you're not scared. You can actually go to them. Introduce yourself to them. You're not thinking in your mind, are oh, they going to look down on me? How come? There's no sin. And you say, hi, brothers. You are my real brothers, yeah? Yes. Um, my name is Mauro. What's your name? My name is Sean. My name is Mark. And you can get to fellowship and speak to them. And love them and they would love you and you would serve them. And they would serve you as if you've lived all your life knowing them. What a glorified fellowship time you'll have. And when you do that, you will realize Christ is awesome. And you will engage in conversations, real conversations with him. You say, Isn't Christ awesome? Isn't he glorious? He was in me when I was on earth. And now, he ensured that I come and engage and interact with you. Beautiful stuff. What a life. What a life. Why would we ever even think of envying the unbelievers because somehow they're healthier or more wealthier than us? Do we have any idea who it is who is in us? Have we actually grasped the depth of what it means? That is, it is Christ who's glorious in me, in you, and he's so accessible. And it is possible to enjoy him as much as your heart is content. Christ in you. Well, let's conclude. Let's conclude. Unbelievers in this room, dear friends, why would you want to sit outside of the kingdom of God? Knowing that it is very possible for God's people to enjoy Christ in them. And yet, you sit outside deprived in the darkness of the night, you are lonely and miserable, and your conscience would bear witness against you that you're guilty. And all that is left is a house and a couch that will burn, but no comfort to you. Why? Let us reason together. What do you have that you possess that could be any? Better than that Christ who could possibly be in you. I urge you. 
pray to God, say to him, God, open my heart. Let Christ come in. Let his light shine in me. Let him live within my soul. Ah, but you're a sinner. Terrible. Lots of sins. Separating you from Christ and dwelling in you. Oh God, drown me in his blood. Wash me clean from all of my sin. Drench me in that blood. Let this stream of Christ's blood flow out of the cross into me and cleanse me. Make me clean, Lord. Have mercy upon me. Forgive my sins. Why? Why do you want your sins forgiven? Because I want to possess Christ. I want to experience him. I've never experienced him before in my life. I want him to rule and reign. Where? Internally. Within me. Is your heart aching for this? Pray to God. Call upon Him. Tell Him, awaken His dead soul. Awaken me from my sleep. And let Christ reign within my soul. And for you, brothers and sisters, let's reflect. How is it that we would accept to be satisfied with the dirt and sand of this world's pleasure when knowing Christ in this depth is possible and available. Why? We too have got to pray. We too have to have this confidence. If the word of God says it, it must be true. Christ is in you, brothers and sisters. Have this boldness and come to God and say, I don't know Christ this way. I don't, but I want to know him. God, I want to know that Christ is mine, my own, that I am his, that I am all, all of me is his. And enjoin the Apostle Paul when he prayed in Ephesians 3, said to God, God, I pray that you may strengthen me with power through your spirit in the inner man. Why? So that Christ would reveal himself to me more and more and much more that I would consciously enjoy him. And now he would rule over Every aspect of my life. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. What a wonderful truth, this mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is glorious. It is rich. It is available all the time, 24-7 in me. In us to enjoy Christ, to love Him, to adore Him. Would you open our eyes, Lord? Would you help us to seek to enjoy Him and be content and satisfied that we have Him?
even if the whole world turns on us. In Jesus' name, amen.